Today we are observing the feast of the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. So yeah, you know what that means. Actually, most of you probably don't. It means that the season of Epiphany is nearing its end, and that Lent is just a few weeks away. Did you know that the first day of Lent, Ash Wednesday, is on February 14th this year? So this Valentine's Day, if you're looking to spice things up with that special someone, take them on a romantic getaway to church so that your priest can smear ashes on their forehead and remind them that someday they're going to die. Just picture it. Cupid's arrows will go flying all over the place when you tell your lover that you didn't get them a present or a card or roses this year. No, no. This year you opted to give them an experience instead, the experience of their own mortality. Remember, you are dust, my darling, and to dust you shall return. Since Lent is just around the corner, my friends, it would probably be a really good idea to interrupt our regularly scheduled programming this morning to talk about fasting. Did you know that up until about a hundred years ago, the Episcopal Church not only had a common practice of prayer, but we also had a common practice of fasting? But these days, fasting is the most widely misunderstood practice of like all of the churchy practices out there. So I just want to take a few moments this morning to clarify how we used to fast in the Episcopal Church and the wider Western Christian world for the matter, with the hope and the expectation that we will be motivated to recover this practice in creative ways today which is precisely why I'm not waiting until Ash Wednesday to bring all of this up to you. I actually want you to be educated so that you can consider your own kind of game plan over the course of these next few weeks, how you will fast this Lent. First off, we need to clarify something. When most people use the word fasting today, they are using it incorrectly. They've actually redefined the word in such a way that it has made fasting way more difficult for most people. You see, when people talk about fasting today, more times than not, they're talking about abstaining from something. For example, many people give up chocolate completely for Lent. They go cold turkey. And they mistakenly say that they are fasting from chocolate for Lent. But this is a mistake. The church, prior to our modern times, always made a distinction between fasting and abstinence. These two words, they're not synonyms. So in other words, if you give up something altogether this Lent, like chocolate or beer or watching The Real Housewives of Miami on Bravo, you're not fasting from these things. You are abstaining from these things. Now, on the other hand, to fast from something, it doesn't mean that you're cutting that thing out completely. No, fasting simply means practicing moderation. So fasting is not no chocolate. It is less chocolate. Fasting is not no beer. 
it is less beer. And all of God's people in Wisconsin said, Amen. Fasting is not no trashy TV shows on Bravo. It is less trashy TV shows on Bravo. For to fast is to practice moderation, my friends. Now, I might be wrong, but I think that most people find this distinction to be really helpful. Because for most of us, consuming less of something, that's a lot easier than cutting that thing out entirely. But everybody's different. This is not the case with everyone, and I acknowledge that. Everybody is wired differently. So it's really up to you to decide what you're going to do. Do you cut something out altogether this Lent, or do you simply reduce your intake of something? But it's important for us to know that our Episcopal tradition has always favored moderation, fasting, over abstinence. The only exception being, of course, the real housewives of Miami. The official position of the Episcopal Church is that you should always abstain from that show at all times so that you don't make the baby Jesus cry all over again. I'll say it again, my friends, the Episcopal Church is a fasting tradition, a moderation tradition, more than we are an abstinence tradition. This is because we are a people who have always taken Jesus' incarnation very seriously. When Jesus took on a human body, he didn't just affirm his body, he affirmed all human bodies. And he didn't just take on one human body, but he took on our whole human nature, thereby affirming the goodness of our embodiment and of our human wants and needs. And Jesus didn't just take on the physicality of a singular human body in his incarnation. He took on all physicality, period. His incarnation did not end with his body. It extends through the church, out into the entire cosmos, thereby affirming the goodness of the whole creation. This is why we don't see things like chocolate and sex and bourbon and dancing and shorts that don't go past your knees. We don't see these things as evil things. Evil only arises when we use the good things that God has given us immoderately in an unbalanced, selfish way. Evil only arises when we turn every single thing into a feast, every single day into a feast day, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, I know that your evangelical cousin thinks that if you dance or drink or daydream about sex or wear a two-piece bathing suit, you are sinning. But at the next family reunion, you can tell him that he is a raving heretic who doesn't really believe in Jesus' incarnation. That's what I do with my cousins, at least. <laughs> uh, all jokes aside, my friends, most of what passes for Christianity these days isn't really Christianity. It's actually like neo-Gnosticism in disguise. The ancient heresy of Gnosticism always saw the spirit as being good and matter, or the stuff that we're made of, as being evil. So it always pitted the soul and the body against each other, villainizing the body in the process. 
but the earliest Christians resolutely and unapologetically gave a holy middle finger (laughs) to any and all forms of Gnosticism. And every time we recite the Nicene Creed together in this place, we are doing likewise, whether we know it or not. So I hope that you can see, my friends, that in our tradition, fasting is not about punishing the body. It's actually about affirming the body. When the saints talk about mortifying the flesh through fasting, they don't have any sort of self-punishment in mind. They're simply acknowledging that we all have a gluttonous impulse, and that impulse would drive us to selfishly consume way more than we need, harming both ourselves and others in the process if we don't keep that impulse in check. Fasting is not about hurting or harming or belittling the body, but about waging war against mindless consumption. Here's the thing. When we mindlessly consume things, not only are we selfishly stripping Mother Earth of all of her resources, and not only are we harming our physical health in the process with so much excess, And not only are we robbing the poor of food, but more practically speaking, in our gluttony, we are also numbing ourselves to those good things that God gave us, things that we should both celebrate and enjoy. As one of the great thinkers of our tradition has said, the person who drinks a six-pack a day doesn't enjoy beer as much as the person who only has one or two beers a week. The chain smoker doesn't enjoy a cigarette as much as the person who smokes only occasionally. The person who practices moderation actually enjoys the flavors of food way more than the person who is constantly overeating. Overindulgence, it dulls our senses and it actually robs us of the pleasure of the experience. But on the other hand, fasting, the practice of moderation, it heightens our senses in such a way that we can enjoy and appreciate things to their fullest. Thus, fasting is not about thwarting desire. It's about amplifying desire. We fast so that we can actually enjoy the feast. But when everything becomes a feast for us, nothing is a feast anymore. My friends, the Episcopal tradition has provided a very simple rule or formula for us, one that is flexible and easily customizable, one that I think is very accessible. And it goes like this. Don't eat more then a light breakfast, one full meal, and one half meal a day during Lent or any other fasting season. I'll say it again. Don't eat more than a light breakfast, one full meal, and one half meal a day during a fasting season. Now notice... This formula, this little rule, it doesn't tell you what to eat or what not to eat. Again, it's not about abstinence. It doesn't prescribe portion sizes. Like, it doesn't actually spell out what light breakfast or half meal means. 
It leaves it up to you to define those things. Because everyone's bodily and dietary needs are different. Some people simply have to eat more frequently for health reasons, medication reasons, for example. Other people have physically demanding jobs that would require them to consume a little bit more than the average person, right? So like, if this little formula doesn't work for you for whatever reason, just aim for moderation and you will still be keeping the spirit of the fast. Because ultimately, fasting is not about cultivating a spiritual practice. It's actually about cultivating a mindset. For example, when I am more mindful of how much food I am eating, I become more sensitive to the impact that my stomach is having on animal life and plant life. I mean, are we mindful of all of the animals that died just so that our stomachs could feel full today? How many animals lost their lives so that our lives could be preserved? And are we grateful for that sacrifice? I mean, even with salads, right? (laughs) The salads we eat, uh, the vegetables we eat, plants that once were living, yeah, they're now dead so that we could go on living. So not only does fasting help us to minimize our impact on other living things and finding some balance, but it also helps us to be more grateful for those things that gave their life to nourish our lives. Another example, when I fast, when I practice moderation, and I start to get out of that habit of chasing every single hunger pang away with a bag of chips or a cookie, right? I actually start to understand a little bit the plight of the homeless person. There are a few homeless men here in Beloit who have a reputation for being rather aggressive and belligerent. Those guys are rude and disrespectful, so I won't ever give them any money or any food, one person once said to me. The ignorance of that statement, it really irked me, because I actually know those guys. I understand their plight just a little bit. Here's the thing, my friends. Most of us become miserable and insufferable to be around when we haven't had the chance to like munch on our afternoon Snickers bar, right? We get hangry, and people just don't want to be around us when we're hangry. But try being not just hangry, but try being hungry. Not just for hours or for days, but for weeks, months at a time, even. If that was you, you had no food for days, weeks, months at a time, the whole town would feel the same exact way about you. Would they not? These men, they're not rude. They're not aiming to be disrespectful. They are starving, literally. If I get into the habit of eating one half meal, right, like the little formula says, from time to time during fasting seasons, guess who I could share the other half of that meal with? Someone who needs it way more than I do. That's the true spirit of the fast, my friends, and why we really should do it. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of others around us. And most importantly, my friends, we should fast because our Lord Jesus Christ used these words. When you fast, not if you fast.